Hey team, how are you all doing? Welcome to the third episode of Celebrating the Champs. And today, I'm happy to say we're talking about the 2012 Melbourne Storm. Yes, you can probably tell. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little bit more excited about this one compared to the other ones. Why? Well, they're my boys. I've been a Melbourne Storm fan, fan since 2009 when they won the Premiership. Oh. But hang on, did they really? Well, it was stripped. And this is where we're going to start today. The story of how they become the 2012 NRL champions. Now, let's start off with saying 2003 is really where it started because it's still going today. We're not just talking about 2012, we're talking about 2020. They're two games away from claiming the 2020 Premiership. Don't want to jinx it. You know, there's some tough competition ahead, but I do have a good feeling about the boys. But I am more than well aware it's not wrapped up yet. Um, a lot of people actually have them as the least likely to win it. But for me, I am optimistic. But enough about that. Let's talk about 2012. Starting back in 2003, signing Craig Bellamy and at the start of the era, really. We saw Billy Slater's debut. We saw Cameron Smith debuted a year before, and I'm pretty sure Cameron Smith even debuted for Origin in 2003. That's where it all started. We had the formation of the big three coming along. Can't remember the top of my head when Kirby Cronk came along, but it wasn't long after. So you you obviously have the great coach in Bellamy kind of. I think ever since 2003, they haven't missed a final since 2012, which we'll get to. But it was just the start of something special. And a lot of that success has just been sustained because of the great coaching, the great decisions made by the organisation. And you got to mention it once again, the big three. And, yeah, so they obviously 2003 is where it kind of started. But 2006 is where it started clicking. They obviously got to the grand final, were favourites against the Broncos and lost. I don't believe you always have to lose one to win one. But I think when you are a team that hasn't got any players that have had that experience or anyone in that situation before and, and kind of the inexperience of tough games, I do believe that in this case. And going to now, that's why I do believe the Panthers will struggle um, to win this year, even though they've proved the doubt is wrong so far. Um, but yeah, that was probably the case in 2006. They were blooming close, but... Um, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because they would have been stripped. But yeah, so they've got to win one, lose one to win one, and that's what happened in 2007 as they dominated the Seagulls. Seagulls paid back the favour as 2008. We saw the Seagulls put on a record setting 40 nil score on the boys. And that's just another example of a type of champion, kind of something to prove redemption. And that's what Manly did. They probably did. You know, the wounds were still open. And we're going to see with the Storm that there's a similar story to their championship in 2012. And even 2009, the heartbreak of 2008, they get there 2009 and do it all. Um, even though the Dragons were red hot, they got knocked out that year. And talk about red hot, the um, the Eels, obviously, Jared Hayne, talk about red hot seasons, probably the best individual season of all time. But just was enough. The better team won at the end of the day. And now, 2010, where it all turns to custard. 
they got stripped of their premierships and were basically told, hey, you're playing for nothing this year in 2010 as they had exceeded the salary cap as they were paying. I think, I uh, believe it was their big four. So obviously Cooper Cronk, Smith and Slater and also Greg Inglis, too much money. So, yeah, that happened. We don't have to go too much in that, but, man, it really could have set the club backwards. And to be fair, it did set them a couple players, a couple steps back, you know. Obviously, it's going to. They had to strip down their roster. You know, I just can't imagine what it would have been like in that environment. You're wondering, did the players know? Um, a lot of them, they said no, but they stayed strong. They didn't get too dirty with the organisation. Obviously, it was a big mistake, but they stayed resilient. They were able to keep their core group of players and obviously the coach, and they still didn't lose that kind of champion, that, what should I call, that toughness, that professionalism, which would have been really easy to do. A lot of players would have just felt distrust with the organisation, you know, so credit to them to sticking strong and staying there. So in that 2010 season, it's a good sign. They would have actually finished fifth if they'd still been able to play for points. And honestly, I think they would have finished higher. They played pretty great that season, but you still saw they were flat because at the end of the day, they had nothing to play for. So there would have been a few games that maybe they would have won if they actually knew there was an end outcome in the end, but they weren't able to. So, yeah, still, that's promising size that they'll still able to get up. Yes, they had a great side, but still, just that mentally fatigued, mental fatigue week in, week out, realizing what is there to play for. So, yeah, basically, the, the biggest loss was Greg Inglis. Had to say goodbye to him. Brett White, Ryan Hoffman, Origin players. Brett Finch was one of the main reasons why I thought they got over the hump in 2009, just a steady half to pair with. Cronk, Jeff Lima, Aiden Tolman's solid front rowers, and Aiden Tolman really made a name of himself post-Storm, making it to the grand final, which he will come up against the Storm in 2012. So the main thing I noticed is, yeah, you lose a lot of strike with Greg Inglis. You lose that X factor. You lose just guys that have been in the big games. But in 2011, they had a great season. They were minor premiers above the Manly Seagulls, and we touched on them a bit in the previous pod. But what were they missing? Well, they weren't missing too much. Obviously, Billy Slater was Dalian Player of the Year. It was his best season to date. He's arguably the best. He's my favourite player of all time, so bias his side, but I believe he is the best fullback of all time. He changed the game, not just the stuff he does, obviously, with the ball and all the stuff you see on the field, but the stuff he does leading the side around from the back, leadership, his commitment, all, the, all that types of stuff. And once he's got older, he's continuing to impress me with his maturity because he had a little – he still had errors in his game when he got later on, but just the decision-making become better and just to be able to kind of compose himself better as well. You have Cameron Smith, who I think is arguably the greatest player of all time, composure, and talk about composure, Cooper Cronk, he is – yeah, he's just the conductor out there. He just, you know, you know what he's going to do. He's so methodical in what he does. He's going to make the right kick. He's not the best ball runner in the world, but he's so great at what he did. And, yeah, he was just sensational. But why didn't they get over? So I think they did miss strike at the end of the day. Um, and, yeah, to be honest, 
they weren't too far off. I just think they underperformed against the Warriors side in that game. And the Warriors are a bogey team for Melbourne Storm, especially then. I think they're one of the only teams that were reasonably close in terms of wins against them. They're only, one of the only teams that really challenged the Melbourne Storm, if you compare like the results. Um, I can't remember the win percentage Melbourne Storm had it over the Warriors, but it wasn't high. It was probably low 50s. Warriors might have even had the edge of them at the time during their whole um, whole history against them. So the bogey side, why? Because Melbourne Storm kind of do struggle with the unpredictability. You can't you can't beat Melbourne Storm playing the Melbourne Storm way. And what is the Melbourne Storm way? Well, we'll see in two thousand and twelve where you know they didn't really make two major any major pickups. But what they do is obviously you got those three guys. But everyone else there steps up the game because they know their role. It's real simple. We talked about that in actually the two previous teams. There's a lot of similarities, obviously, in any premiership side, but especially 2010, 2011, 2012. And I think you see a kind of progression in dynasties. And what I mean is 2011, the, the Dragons, they were great. They were built on some key players, some X factors, but a lot of them were just solid players that, yes, had played Origin football. But they were just more, they weren't game breakers such, but they knew their role. and But they were only able to sustain their success because their age wasn't on their side. Manly, they were able to sustain a little bit of success there. They had two premierships, but kind of fell off. They obviously had their key guys in the Stewart Brothers and the Lions. And now, and obviously, Kieran Fauna and Daly Chervins have been there as well. So they've always had solid players, but they've been able to kind of rotate the outside backs and stuff like that, and they still do the jobs too. But yeah, um, but with the Melbourne Storm, why did they probably kind of surpass Manly as kind of one of the, a better t- team this era? I think ultimately it comes down to just the talent of the three guys and also probably the... Cameron Smith staying there as well. Obviously, Des Hasler left ship in, after their grand final win. And Jeff Toby did a great job, and Trent Barron had an indifferent experience there. But I think it's just that consistency within the leadership group and just, yeah, they always know their job. But, yeah, with the Melbourne Storm, 2012, Billy Slater was scoring a double every game in the first couple of rounds. He continued his 2011 form. And for me, that it's only like a five-game span. That was one of the greatest formed patches we have witnessed. And I'm not just saying it because I'm biased. I genuinely believe it. I think people easily forget maybe because it wasn't sustained. But, yeah, it's hard to sustain it. And I think James Tedesco is in the same belt where it, his form can be overlooked because how great his team is as well. Where Haynes and Barbers stuck out. The two other big forms, you know, big Great performance seasons I've seen from two individuals because they're kind of like the clear guy. It's been more obvious and more kind of, you know, highlight plays as well where Billy's and James Disco is less obvious. But, um, yeah, he started off hot and they went nine wins in a row, I believe. We'll just quickly, quickly check that. Um, they suffered their first loss in round 10. And then you get close to origin season where it kind of went – the the wheels fell off here for the Melbourne Storm. Um, and it always does because, you know, you have players playing in Origin. You have the big three, like I mentioned. I think Will Chambers, I can't remember if he was in the Origin ranks this year. But, yeah, you've got key players playing Origin, so they're going to miss games. And when they come back, 
they're probably still feeling it from the game before. No excuses though, you know, that happens. Everyone's got to deal with it. But the reality is they do always, they, a lot of times they actually do cope with that quite well. But this season they were affected by it. And one of the reasons they were affected by it was Billy Slater did get injured in game two. So I easily forget this. Like I said, they really struggled this year, but they had a five-game losing streak. Their first loss was against the Bulldogs, who they would end up playing. And a great try from Josh Moss, one of the best tries I've ever seen, where, um, well, I'm not even kidding. He was on his own dead ball line, Ben Barber, and then chipped it over, and then Josh Moss was able to finish it off. But, yeah, then they carried on against Canberra, Cowboys, Eels, Dragons. Four, four teams that you don't really scream scream at you either is like really like hard games. But yeah, they suffered the loss for Billy there. And yeah, but they were able to get the win win back. They got a comprehensive win against Penrith, 46-6, and then they kind of ease into it. And then they end up winning, I believe, they won five straight there and seven straight heading into the grand final. So they got rolling, you know. I think overall... Why they got to the grand final was, you know, it's a very similar team. Obviously, Gareth Woodup, another year under his belt of six. I fit, he's obviously a great player. He can take the line on. He can create stuff for himself. He's, you know, at the time, he wasn't one of the best number sixes in the world, but he was just a good foil for Kronk. And we've talked about Kronk, Smith, and Slater already. When you've got them there as that other guy in the spine, you don't have to do too much. And because he didn't have any major flaws in his games, it was perfect. It was a match made in heaven, really. Um, yeah, so they roll on. Their form was there. Like I said with Gareth Woodup, he got better with a year on, even though it was great the season before. But you saw that with every other player. You know, they got better too. Ryan Hoffman also came back this season, and that helped. So they just had guys that knew their role, and that's why they got there in the end. Um, and, yeah, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Their first proper good season, I believe, 2012. Obviously, they signed Greg Inglis in 2011, and they didn't make the finals that year. But they kind of, it was their first finals in a long time. Obviously, they had the lights of the Burgess, Burgess as well. But yeah, I think Melbourne were just too good for them at the end of the day. And then they got their redemption on Manly, like I said, you know. And I just want to bring up redemption again. Melbourne Storm, then winning the Premiership is one of the great redemption stories. A lot of times when we talk about redemption stories, it's easy to look at the athletes because, yeah, you you look at injuries, you look at, um, you know, drug incidents, things they've done off the field that have set them back, stuff like, yeah, maybe they've crumbled in the big time like LeBron in 2011. That's where we more talk about redemption stories with individual success. But in terms of team, Man, this is this is definitely up there. It's redeeming themselves. And yeah, they, they started here with Manly and they come up against the Bulldogs, who were the favourites for this one. But for me, I did believe Melbourne Storm were favourites. Like I've said before in previous pods, previous posts, they had the championship experience, Melbourne. Yes, technically, no, they weren't champions, but they had been there before. They'd been there in the big moments. And that's what they were... Um, able to do in this game they had a defensive mentality there um after they finished the ladder on at second place yes i must say bulldogs were a very good defensive team and they were scary on offense as well obviously you got ben barber freak of nature you know um 
And it, but it wasn't just him. I think they changed the game that year with the way they use their front rowers. Obviously, James Graham came over that year. Great ball player. And Sam Cassiano was the prop of the year. Many people forget that. But having a big guy that was able to ball play like that just throws another span in the works. You know, they had injuries to Trent Hawkins that year, but it didn't really matter too much because they had Chris Keaton there who become a runner. And because you had Chris Keaton as a runner, you didn't have to... Um, and you had... So you had the big boys playing like halves you didn't need Chris Keaton to be that playmaker, you know. You could play off the cuff, and that's what they did. And like I said about the defense, they were actually technically points four. They were very high up there in one of the best de- uh, points against. So they were the best defensive team that year, along with the Storm. The Storm were the best, and the Bulldogs were the second best, um, and by a fair margin too. So they got there in defense. Obviously, Josh Miles out wide as well. But the grand final... I watched it not too long ago, and it's my favorite grand final of all time. You're thinking, um, Luke, come on. I'm like, yeah, I'm biased, but it's my favorite because I was relieved. Like I said, you know, it's weird. You've watched 2009 grand final where technically that's the first time I've watched my team win, but it's kind of been taken away. Yes, I can still go back, watch the highlights, but it's not the same. So this one was such a relief. It's like, yes, I can count this one, you know? And, yeah, they started off hot in this grand final grand final it was a lot of tension um obviously with the james graham incident biting but they showed their composure the combination of cronk and slater in this game for slater's tribe was brilliant just showed probably yeah like i said the bulldogs just come up against the team even the bulldogs were red hot that season one of the most entertaining teams i've watched of this era they just probably they they did well like this it was 14-4 it was a real grudge match and no point scored in the second half. This shows how tough it was. But, yeah, they just – the Melbourne Storm just probably were just a bit too classy, more clinical. And because Melbourne were able to kind of play their game, the Bulldogs weren't able to rattle the Melbourne Storm, didn't make them feel too uncomfortable. And because of the experience, were able to – if they made it here, they were able to recover from it. And, yeah, they much-deserved win. Cooper Cronk was so classy. He was able to, you know, kind of pick on Bulldogs' mistakes. If there was, I still remember that try set up for Justin O'Neill as well. But yeah, it was it was a really good game. I really enjoyed that game. I remember that first half was was thrilling, and that second half just on the edge of the edge of your seat the whole time, just watching that scoreboard and it's not ticking over. Um, yeah, it was great. It was just such a relieving feeling. And we'll just go on to. We'll quickly wrap it up. But, yeah, let's go to this team. Um, Billy Slater, fullback, talked enough about him, you know. One of the main reasons they won. We've got the wingers and Cecil Wonga and Justin O'Neill. They just did their job well. Cecil Wonga, um, you know, is good for an year or two, but he actually really solidified his his game and was, didn't become, was not a liability for this team at all and was a quality finisher. And Justin O'Neill had speed to bird. He was solid as well and did his role well and even I believe was an origin contention that year as well. Don't think he quite got in. Um, but yeah, Dane Nielsen was another guy that didn't wow you. You know, like I said, there wasn't many X factors, but everyone knew their job. Like I've said in previous past, when you got premiership teams, a lot of times you do look at some of the rosters, you think, oh, not that good, but they know their job. They're not expected to do that much, but he was able to do it. And because 
because of that, we talked about Origin with Justin O'Neill, who has played Origin. Dan Nielsen's the same. You know, because he's been able to show he can be part of a winning team, do his role, that's why he is being able to play for Queensland. And I must say, I'm not a big Dan Nielsen fan. I've never rated him. I can say that. But, hey, he did his role well. Will Chambers, I believe he that was, was either his first or second season back from rugby this season and did well. You know, he's. I think as his career's gone on, he's... Um, he got into a period there where you could argue he was the best specialist centre, probably for a season, and then I felt like he got a bit carried away. Kind of made some boneheaded decisions at the time and gets a bit aggressive, and even he's labelled as a good defender. I believe he can make some real bad defensive players, but here he was. He did really well. Probably one of my favourite seasons of him. Come back, didn't overplay his hand, which I believe, like I said, he can do now. But yeah, was part of, had been part of the organisation before. Knew what I expected from him. And yeah, Gareth Woodup, great fall for Cooper Cronk, who was exceptional in the grand final. Cooper Cronk, um, Jesse Bromwich, and Brian Noy. We're going Jesse Bromwich, one of the best props of this era. Just a hard, and this is kind of the start of his kind of stardom as a prop and his case to be labeled as arguably one of the better props of this NRL era. Just because, yeah, he just goes forward. You know, he does what's needed. As the game's adapted, he's adapted too. He's become a better ball player. Um, but, yeah, just looking for meters, looking for consistent play, looking for, you know, just no boneheaded players. And you're not going to get that from Jesse Bromwich. Brian Noy, no nonsense. And Cameron Smith, captain, hooker. Didn't have a great goal-kicking night this night, I remember. But, yeah, you, what can you say? He controls the tempo so well. He knows what's needed. He is a great presence to have out there, and I think he lifts everyone else as well. Kevin Proctor. Now, I should have double-checked this, but probably either his first or second season playing as that starting second row. But, yeah, he established himself as a Kiwi second row, you know, Kiwi a Kiwi international this season and p- potentially the season prior as well. So I can't remember, but... Yeah, great line runner, just like his partner, Ryan Hoffman. Obviously, been there before, come back that season. Just knows his role what role well. And Todd Lowry, toughness, you know. He actually was in that 2009 team that lost to the Melbourne Storm for the Eels. You know, he, you're not like like we've seen with a lot of these Lucys that have been for the Melbourne Storm. Dale, for, Dale Finucane today. Um, we're going to see Ryan Hinchcliffe of the bench also. The likes of Slade Griffin played a similar role as well. They're just no-nonsense, and they're hard-running, and they're just going to make their tackles. Dallas Johnson, he's the main prototype. Sekamanu was another guy that was probably past his form, but been in that team before and provided power. Ryan Hinchcliffe, great utility, filled in when you needed him. Was rumoured to be in New South Wales, potentially. Didn't quite get there. But and didn't scream New South Wales because it's not like he's going to make game when he plays. But because he does his job so well, um, that's why he's, that's why he was rumored. You know, he did his job well. Jamie Lowe and Richard Foyer. So honestly, they were, they were great contributors to the team as well. You can't say too much about them. But like like I've said about these other teams, when you go to lesser bench, yes, honestly, you can't. I can't go back and remember specifically what Jamie Lowe did and Richard Foyoso did. But what I do know is they played their role real, really well and they're in that team and a reason because Craig Bellamy trusted them. And that's Craig Bellamy, you know, to get them there from being 
stripped off all their points in 2010 from going so close in 2011. It must be so damaging to the soul, so damaging just in general. Like, how do you deal with that stuff? Um, and honestly, I don't know how, but he's been so great. I think he's been the best coach of the 2010s. Greatest coach of all time, I don't know. Um, I still believe it's out of him and Wayne Bennett, and obviously there's other coaches there as well. But, yeah, just the way he's been able to keep this, that core group of players that we always talk about and then being able to fill in the gaps with guys that just go in there and stick to the job is just just great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, basically that's what's that's the story of the Melbourne Storm 2012. Um, for me, it's hard to kind of pull back because I love – I'm always going to be biased to the Storm – and it's also the same cl- cliches of the Storm, you know. They're winners. They've always been there, blah, blah, blah. You know, the big three, blah, blah, blah. Everyone that goes there just does their job well. I've repeated all those things in this podcast. I'm just trying to think off the top of the head, is there anything else I can say about this team that hasn't been said? And I don't think so. And because of that, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you guys all for listening. And please check out my other episodes of this series, especially if you're a footy fan. Um, I really love reliving the past because I don't think we do it enough. We move too forward. You know, we'll probably, the grand final will wrap up in a couple of weeks and we'll probably be talking about who's going to win next year. And that, that sucks. You know, I think we need to go back and relive these great moments and great teams too. So let me know what you guys think and stay tuned for the next episode, which will be episode four, talking about the 2013 Sydney Roosters, who I think have uh, the most, how do you word it? They differ the most out of all these teams we've talked about so far. And what's the big reason because of that? Well, the season before, we've talked about all these other teams, about how they kind of had the ingredients the season before, but the Roosters... Well, let's just leave it as to say that they weren't quite there in 2012. See you guys.